Well, I want to wish you a happy new year. Here we are, 2023. You know, we used to say 2006 or 2009, and all of a sudden we switched to, instead of 2000, it's it's not 2023, it's 2023. I guess it's just easier to say. Hey, I don't know. Well, we got normal questions and challenges continue, as well as a lot of new successes and wins. So we want to share both of those. Got a note to this week from a gal who says, I hate my job, but people are telling me to stay. Now, let me tell you, the rewards of your work are not worth sacrificing your personal health, family time. I mean, 10 years from now, what you're doing for your health, your personal well-being, your family time, your spiritual growth right now will be far more important than the paycheck you're going to get this Friday. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're taking care of business. If you're a new listener, welcome in. This is 48 Days Radio, where we talk about how to change your life dramatically in 48 days. You don't need to wait until all the lights are green. You don't need to wait until you finish that degree. Wait until you pay off your old student loans, whatever. You can make a decision now. 48 days is ample time to do that. Thus the name that we have, 48 days. That's how we talk about the challenges that we've got, how to change those around Move to the success that you want in 48 days. So here's some of the questions we're going to be looking at today. Dan, I hate my job, but I don't want a gap in my resume. I'm the new executive director of an organization. How can I build rapport with the people I'm leading? How about this one? This is a toughie. My mom is ill. Should I put my own plans on hold? I may be surprised the direction I go with that one. And then somebody says, I'm embarrassed to tell people about the business I'm buying. Now, I'm going to deal with those. If we got time, I'll go on with other questions. Got a whole backlog here over the holidays of questions, but I'm going to try to address at least these quotations for today. The quotation really is just uh, my own and things that I've heard and kind of put together, but it's this. Don't expect helpful advice from people who have smaller dreams for your life than you do. Let me let that sink in a minute. I want to say it again. Don't expect helpful advice from people who have smaller dreams for your life than you do. Now, that's something that comes up frequently where well-meaning family members or maybe a pastor or a teacher, neighbors, friends around you say, oh, you know, nobody in our family ever did that. You can't do that. You know, nobody in this town ever did that. You can't do that. Well, be careful, again, about taking advice from people who have smaller dreams for your life than you do. All right. Now, our resource, I'm excited about this, our resource for this week is, if you go to 48days.com slash webinar, go there, you're going to see the free masterclass I'm going to be doing on January 12th. That's Thursday, depending on when you're listening to this, Thursday, January 12th. You can choose to come in at 1 o'clock or 7 o'clock Central Time, and it's going to be how to create work and a life you love with just 15 hours a week. This is one of the most popular things I've ever done, I've ever created, is this framework 
or how you can use 15 hours a week and do something really significant. How to use that as a base for making a full transition into something on your own if you want to, but just how do we do it something that you enjoy, how to create work and a life you love with just 15 hours a week. All right, now, Happy New Year. I want to just, golly, again, wish all of you a Happy New Year. Thanks for the notes and gifts that you all have sent our way. Joanne and I have been blessed through the holiday season to enjoy all kinds of unexpected things here, and we appreciate that. When when it comes to setting goals, now I, I may come back in the next couple of weeks and do a full segment on this thing about setting goals. I'm so excited about it. I keep learning new things. And um, this year I've really modified. I, I don't want anybody to have goals that are just a checklist of to-dos. You know, just do this or eat so many calories and lose so many pounds. Get an image of who you want to become. I mean, that's really what will drive you forward. But when it comes to, and I may come back to that, but Forbes says that only 29% of Americans set goals in 2022. Now, that was last year. Of course, it's too early to really know how many did this year. I'll give you that information when we have it. Only 29% set goals last year, down from 43% in 2021. Now, I don't have any explanations, neither did they, about why that dramatic drop would occur. I really don't know. But here's the deal. Of that 29% that set goals, 80% say they abandoned them by February. That really brings us down. That means there's only 6% of the population who set and felt like they achieved goals last year. There's actually a fall off the wagon day. Now, that's, that's a day where they see an increase in people going to fast food restaurants and a decrease in people going to health centers, a fall off the wagon day. And that's identified as the second Thursday in February. Now this year, that's going to be February 9th. So here we are, you know, just starting out January, February 9th is fall off the wagon day. That's when most people kind of give up on goals that they set. So here's the deal. I mean, I, I think the most important times of the year then are the 48 days before January 1st and the 48 days after January 1st. Now, you know that I put a, a lot of emphasis on the 48 days before January 1st. That being takes us back to November 14th. And that's the date when I encourage you to have all your goals set in seven different areas of your life, knowing what you want to accomplish, what success looks like for you. And it's amazing what happens in that period of time, the 48 days then leading up to the first. Because when you are really clear about something, it starts to happen. I mean, if you you don't even have to choose a diet. You don't have to even think about what you're eating. If you weigh yourself every day, you'll start losing weight. You'll start going toward what you really want that to say when you look down and see the number. It's that old adage, you know, where attention goes, money flows. I mean, what you focus your attention on, that's what you get more of. So there's that. So for the 48 days leading up to the first are very important. And now I'm going to add this to it. The 48 days after are critically important because they're saying fall off the wagon day is the second Thursday in February or this year, February 9th. So that's it. You know where 48 days takes us to, to that takes us to February 17th. So it's just a little bit longer, but that means if you make it to February 17th, you're now in that rare 6% 
of all people in the world who are moving toward their dreams and goals. Now, that doesn't seem like it's a too tough to get into that elite group. Now, here's, you know, I've got some other kind of background experiences that kind of set me up for that. When I started writing, I mean, I didn't set out to be an author. I mean, I was just teaching a Sunday school class and people started asking for material. And finally, under duress, I put some rough notes together in a three-ring binder and then people asked for more. And I started writing what turned into then books. But when I look at what authors make in terms of income, we are told statistically that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year. Now, that could be pretty discouraging if I want to write and I look at that. But my immediate question was, how tough can it get to be to get into that 5% that makes significantly more than $40,000? So I am an author. I love being an author. I love being known as an author. But you know what? Last year, in 2022, my income from selling my books was less than 1% of my income. I sold a lot of books and I'm grateful for that, but I make over 99% of my income by allowing people to experience the message of my books in ways other than just reading the books. All right. Well, I just wanted to throw that out some of those statistics that uh, should be encouraging, but I hope you're one of those six percenters. All right. Hey, I want to start off here by listening to an audio from a young lady. You can sense the, the pain in her message for her question. she got some great questions, and I want to go through and really unpack this, and it may resonate with a lot of you as well. Check this out. Hi, Dan. My name is Morgan. I'm 22, and my first year out of college this year, I've found that I'm absolutely miserable in different positions. Um, I held one position at a magazine for about four months. They didn't give me anything to do, so I was just bored out of my mind. Um, I left there and took some time to reassess and already have a gap on my resume. Now I'm at a PR agency where I have to work an hour or an hour and a half late every single night, regardless of how much I get done or if it's really relevant to do something late that night and get it out. Um, I don't have time to feed myself properly. I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time for my family. And I have a two-hour commute on top of that. My ultimate goal is to have my own business where I make money in part from an online blog and in part from freelance work, consulting, marketing, and PR services to small businesses and individuals. Um, I really want to move to a new position where I have time to work on that side project and and time to spend with my family but everyone's telling me my resume will be ruined and then I need to stick it out no matter how painful it is. Um, And I just don't know what to do. Any advice? Well, Morgan, thank you for your, for sharing, for your vulnerability and just sharing where you are. We can um, appreciate your pain and you definitely do not need to stay there. Now, just to kind of recap, first year out of college, Working an hour and a half over scheduled time, a two-hour commute. You really want to be writing your blog, providing freelance marketing PR services. That's really what you want. Now, as I started out, the rewards of your work are not worth sacrificing your personal health and family time. I mean, 10 years from now, what you're doing 
for your health, your personal well-being, what you're doing right now, your family time, your spiritual growth, those are things that are going to be far more important than the paycheck you're going to get this Friday. I mean, you won't even remember the paycheck you're going to get this Friday. It's going to pale in comparison. So don't worry about a gap in your resume. You're not ruining your resume. Just don't pay attention to those people who are saying that. I mean, most companies have moved away from even requiring a resume. It's just not that important. What is important is for you to feel more like you're in the driver's seat of your life right now. So here's what I would recommend. I would recommend you quit the job you have immediately. Quit. Find something close by. I mean, no one needs to have a two-hour commute. I mean, get a job as a waitress if you want to. I mean, at a nice restaurant where you can make $30, $40 an hour. I mean, do something you would consider fun. It doesn't have to be your dream job. I mean, you can work here at the kayak rental place, you know, signing people up to go for kayak rides if you want to. It doesn't have to be your dream job or the perfect job for your career path. Because now, now you have a base income. That's all we're concerned about. You have a base income, whatever you need there, probably as much or more as you're making now. And you have the emotional freedom to focus on what you want to build for yourself. And start that blog that you want to write. Clarify what you could offer of value to growing businesses, your social media or marketing or PR services that you want to that you want to provide. Take on a couple of clients where you can do the work around the job that you have. But then have as a goal to by June first of this year, twenty twenty three, be bringing in fifty percent of your job income from your freelance business. And at that point, you can see what would happen if you were able to spend all of your time in that and you can make a full transition. I mean, that's, I want to make sure that you are registered for our masterclass, January 12th, how to create a work and a life you love with just 15 hours a week. And we'll walk you through this exact process. Again, just go to 48days.com slash webinar to Sign up for that. Make sure that you got a place in that. When you do something on your own, I want to expand this a little bit more, but when you do something on your own, if you come to me and you offer PR services or social media, I am not going to ask to see your resume. I'm going to want to know, show me your blog. You know, show me what you've done for a couple other companies. You know, give an example of what you could do for 48 days. It's not going to be important what you have on your resume or that you have a gap there. You somehow ruined your resume. No, 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 no. You've got people telling you to just stick it out. Again, don't take advice from people who have smaller dreams for your life than you do. And as Stephen Covey says, you want to live out of your imagination, not your history. Well, hey, I'm going to send you some stuff. Morgan, to help you on this path as well, and eager to hear about how this unfolds for you. You're young, got a whole lot of life ahead of you, and you can put yourself in the driver's seat immediately and start moving toward that dream that you have. All right, this comes from Scott, who says, what are your thoughts on the process of building rapport with people? I'm the new executive director of an association of 65 churches. How do you recommend I go about befriending, connecting, and building rapport with the over 100-plus leaders of these churches? How are you able to build such good rapport with so many people? 
You often comment about how important it is to have a list of people you could call in the middle of the night as a determiner of future success. How do you establish and build those relationships with a variety of people with different levels of accessibility? Well, great question, Scott. I know what you've been doing the last couple of years and thrilled that you're in this new position that you're describing. Sounds like a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Yeah, this is easy for me to move into here. I'm working on my next book where I've got as a working title, Increase Your Influence, Make More Money, and Have Friends for Life. Now, I need something that's shorter than that, but that'll probably be the subtitle. So still working on that. But there's a whole lot of things that I kind of frame in this this place. I mean, one of the mottos that I have for my mastermind members, we all have a wooden plaque that says, walk with the wise and become wise. I mean, that's Proverbs 13, 20. So yeah, you want to spend time around people who are performing to the level at which you want to perform. And in this case, just simply people where you're now the executive director in this leadership position. But there's a, a whole bunch of things that I've laid out in this book that I'm developing. One of those is called the 100 Cups Process comes from my friend Jason Elkins, who, after losing a job, decided he wanted to get the opinion and advice of a couple people that he really admired before he just took another position. Well, he did that. He met with a couple people and got great advice. And he thought, wow, I'm going to continue doing this. I'm going to do this again. And all of a sudden, he set as a goal to meet with 100 people. And in doing so, he had multiple job offers that came along, all kinds of opportunities for things that he could do. And he decided he didn't want to take a job at all. He simply now teaches people the power of make, having those 100 cups and what it can lead to. So there's that. I mean, just simply asking people to It can be virtual at this point. If you're spread over a broad geographic area with the people that you're connecting with, it can be virtual. Just ask them if they can are open to 20 minutes to spend. Just have a virtual cup of coffee together to just talk with no agenda, not selling anything, promoting anything, just to get to know them. That'll go a long way. Another thing is the Ben Franklin factor, where if you ask somebody for a favor, They actually feel much closer to you. So if you know somebody has a particular library of books, they have all the works of C.S. Lewis or something, and you simply ask them, could I borrow that for two weeks? Or, I've got you know, I know you've got this course that seems to be doing really, really well. I'd love if you would just tell me about that, how that's worked for you. Ask them for a favor. So it doesn't always have to be, even though you're the leader, that you're always giving and being the, the smartest person in the room. Not at all. I mean, maybe, maybe a couple of those pastors have innovative programs in place where they've been very successful. Ask them to share. Ask them to share with the rest of the group. In my mastermind, it's certainly not always me being the leader. I have lots of competent people in there who have the ability to step up and lead us all into higher levels of thinking, personal success, of course, business success as well. So engage them. Make it interactive rather than just top down. When you have events, and hopefully you'll have opportunity to have events, live events are back big time this year, but I'm thinking back to some of the things that we did at the sanctuary, the converted barn we had in our property up there in Franklin, Tennessee, where we had nature trails and a mulberry tree and a zip line, and we'd have restaurants come out with their um, famous Dave's came out with a big red truck, and we'd do food right there on the spot. Our neighbors had a U-Pick garden, and we'd walk over there and get a farm-to-table dinner that Lee would put together for us. Um, a lot of just exciting things down here since I'm down here in Florida. I've had uh, groups down here where we've done 
e-bike rides together, electric bikes down the beach and kayaking together. We've done a lot of things. So it's not just sitting in a conference room getting knowledge. Make it more of a festival than a conference. And certainly with the people that you're talking about there, you know, get opportunities to be out of their, their stuffy positions perhaps and things to just have, have fun together. This last year, I organized five different months where I had what we called Food for Thought with Dan. Again, it was no agenda. It was just to get to know each other. I had people just apply for that. I provided the lunch, but selected 12 people to come to those. We had really delightful time, and I'd built some great new relationships out of that. Again, there was no sales pitch. I didn't promote anything. Didn't have my books for sale there or anything. Just uh, met with people and uh, developed relationships, and that goes a long way. You know, when you talk about this, Scott, when you talk about building rapport, it's not an overnight thing. It does develop over time. Those people that I have on my 3 a.m. list that I could call at 3 a.m. and know that they would respond with something that I needed. I mean, those are not people that I met, you know, three weeks ago. Some of those people are people I met 30 years ago. Now, it doesn't have to be that long. You can develop good relationships, but recognize this does take place over time, not just instantly. There's a book titled You're Invited by John Levy. John was somebody who felt like he was not accomplishing much, not having a lot of impact, And he started putting together dinners where he'd invite 12 people who, when they showed up, were given the task of preparing the dinner they were going to eat. Now, that that really, um, do do a project together. Find a reason to do a project together. It's called the IKEA effect. If you work on something, you have more... He, he, you think it's it's better than it really is. God, that's not a good way to say that. But you you take a lot of pride in that little bookcase when you put it together, rather than just you know picked it up and or had it delivered to you. So there's that kind of thing where you get people together and involve them in something that you do together. Do a project together. You might um, do a book study together with, with the group that you've got. I'm going back through with a couple of people going back through one of John Maxwell's early books titled Becoming a Person of Influence. But it's really, really great for pastors. There's some guidance in there that I use with pastor clients over and over and over again. But you could certainly choose a book. There's many out there, but that gives people a sense of being connected together. But those are just some of the quick ways to uh, build rapport and um, uh, to build credibility as a leader. You know, you can initiate those things, organize those things, but again, not have to be the smartest person in the room to gain influence and leadership capacity that you want. Great question. Thanks for sending that in, Scott. All right, Marcus says this, Dan, I love your podcast. Always listen at work on Wednesdays. My dream is to have a side hustle around my passion for marathon training and racing. I was looking forward to getting clients and building this into a business that would set me free from my day jobs. My passion for this dream changed a couple weeks ago when my mom went to the hospital and the doctor told us she was in the last stage of dementia and would need hospice care. I feel all the energy now needs to be spent time spending time with her rather than chasing my dreams. I had a goal of running a marathon in under three hours in 2023, but I lost interest in training now. Um, my mom was always a woman who that would say, be all you can be. She loved that army quote. How can I stay true to caring for mom and chasing my dreams? Well, great question, Marcus, a very sensitive kind of thing. I'm sad that you're dealing with this, but here's the reality. I mean, we all have parents that age and then die. 
I mean, most of us have children that have unexpected challenges. We work for companies that go out of business. We may experience a heart attack or COVID shows up and changes the way we all work and live or a hurricane hits where we live and does major damage. And then the list goes on and on. The point is we're never immune from unexpected and unwelcome events. But if we allow those to derail our dreams, we'll never get there. I mean, your mom will probably not know if you're sitting silently by her side 24 hours a day. Probably doesn't really serve her well to do that if she's in the later stages of dementia and is in hospice care. I mean, that usually indicates the end is pretty close. But you say she always encouraged you to be all you can be. See, I think the most honoring thing you could do for your mom is to prepare for that next marathon. Lean into your passion for training. Get some clients to work with. I mean, what a celebration it would be to nail that marathon in under three hours, as you want to do, and have your mom, I mean, maybe now free from her failing physical body, being able to look down with pride and joy and seeing you chase your dreams. God, I don't want this to seem insensitive to the reality of what you, but it just, there's always going to be something. There's always going to be something. That's why I developed 48 days because there's always, I'd meet with somebody, we'd map out how to change their life and get out of the misery that they said they were in. And then I'd see them a year later or two years later and they hadn't done anything. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. What's up with that? Well, I'm waiting until I pay off the mortgage, waiting until my kids get out of high school, waiting until, you know, I pay off my own student loan debts, whatever it is. You know, there's always those things where you can justify waiting to really pursue your dream. And I said, we got to get past that. That's why I'm so adamant about 48 days. 48 days is enough time to assess where you are, get the advice and opinion of other people, identify four or five options, do a little bit more research, choose one and act. Boom, that'll work for any decision that you're working for. But if you don't have clear priorities, then any obstacle will send you in a new direction. All right, let me, let me grab one more here. So this comes from Brandon, who says, I'm in the process of purchasing a handyman business in Phoenix. I've always wanted to own my own business, and I'm really excited about the opportunity. However, I have realized that when I think about telling my current employer or anyone, it feels inferior or like a step down to my current management position. My question is, how do you get past the feeling that your step up is a step down to most other people? Wow. I love your question, Brandon. Love your question. All right. So again, Brandon, you're purchasing a handyman business in Phoenix, but you're hesitant about telling your current employer or anyone because you have a management position and this may appear like a step down. All right. Tom Facho was working as an accountant. This was back a few years ago. But he was working as an accountant when he stumbled on an opportunity. Now, here's, here's what the deal was. He lived in a nice community. He was an accountant. So there were 700 homeowners. There were 75 of them that were together. And they were complaining about the trash pickup in their fancy community. So Tom suggested they buy a garbage truck and provide their own service. 
he got absolutely shouted down by the other homeowners who said, look, this is a country club, not a garbage company. Well, you know what Tom did? He bought a truck and started collecting garbage there. He bought another truck. He started buying out other little local operators. Now, that was one of those businesses, garbage collection, certainly not fancy, uh, not something you're going to brag about, you know, at the uh, family gathering, perhaps, but he saw an opportunity there. Most garbage collection companies back then were, you know, a dad and his two sons had a pickup truck and it wasn't very organized. Tom Facho put together what became BFI, major, major waste collection company. Uh, he built 14 different companies, including the Houstonian Hotel, Club and Spa. Then he turned his attention. He did a multi, multi-million dollar development right there near where he was in Houston. He owned restaurants, sports teams. I mean, he was an extremely wealthy gentleman. And he started, he got his start with a trash collection business. I mean, there's, there's a, a couple that I know of who he was and didn't have fancy degrees or anything, but he was a good plumber. So they started their own company. She helped him. They built that. They provided great service to their customers who then referred them more business. They grew their little company to have 75 employees. They just sold it a couple months ago for $12 million. A major company came in. I won't tell you who. You'll know soon because they're going to be promoting all over the country, but bought them to use as a prototype for what they want to develop, they want to develop 300 companies like this one in cities all over the country. They paid this company $12 million and also kept them on to manage a much larger operation now in what they're doing. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, here, here's the bottom line about your handyman business. I mean, call it something else if you want to. I mean, you can call it a, a, rather than a handyman business, you can call it, my goodness, I mean, executive upgrades, or you can call it white glove enhancements. I don't care what you call it. But the bottom line is, if you aren't willing to shout it from the rooftops, what you're doing, you've got the wrong business. You've got to get past the opinion of other people or how you think this thing works status-wise. I mean, go back to The Millionaire Next Door, Thomas Stanley's classic book, Millionaire Next Door. Look at some of the things in there. I mean, there's one guy in there who it shows him, you know, in bib overalls, he's got his hands dirty. He sells truck parts, salvage truck parts. I mean, it intrigues me being a car guy. He buys old trucks, sells salvage, salvage parts. He's multi, multi-millionaire because that's what he's doing in there. There's another guy who he profiles in that book, who bought excess material, like from the big upholstery places and whatever, excess material, and they make underwear for people in the prisons. The guy's a millionaire. I mean, be careful about thinking you have to have a business that somehow has social status to really thrive. Now, it does have to be something that you really believe in, that you enjoy. But again, if you aren't willing to shout it from the rooftops what you're doing, you've got the wrong business. Okay, hey, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna do one more. Logan says I've been listening to your podcast for the past year. Read your 2005 copy of 48 Days that I picked up at a thrift store. Well, 
All right, glad they're still still moving around. Been a while around a while, but still glad they're moving around out there. Logan, you and Joanne, he says, we're talking in a recent episode, and Joanne made a comment that the home doesn't have to be perfect to be hospitable. We just recently purchased 28 and a half acres, and we're putting a single wide mobile home on it in order to make the deal happen. The plan is to build a custom home in the back half and then let my mother move into the mobile home in maybe two years. How do I fight the urge to not want to invite our friends over for a housewarming party because of the mobile home? Would it be faster to just build a barn for entertainment? Should I be unashamed to host others in a brand new single wide mobile home? Oh my gosh, Logan. Don't make your decisions based on how they will impress others. My gosh, don't do that. Joanne and I, the first house we had, we probably were talking about, I don't remember exactly what you're referring to here, but we were probably talking about the fact that we, our first house was an 8x42 trailer. That's it. I paid $1,245 for it. But we moved that onto a trailer park just off campus at the Ohio State University, so it was students all around us. We loved it there. I mean, my dad helped me build an awning out the front so we could sit out there with the lawn chairs and have all the neighbors over, which we did again and again and again. I mean, it was a place to gather. Uh, We were a young married couple. We had a lot of people asking us for advice about that even back then. Well, I think about some of the other places that we've had over the years. I bought a, a house one time Joanne was out of town. She was uh, visiting with her mom, as I recall. And um, I bought a house without her even seeing it. And she asked me about it. You know, gee, did it, does it have, on the phone, you know, does it have a dishwasher? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Well, the, the reality was I hadn't even seen the inside. There were still people living there. And I bought it from somebody. And the utilities had been turned off for like a month there. So it was a pretty nasty situation. So I bought it without seeing the inside. It wasn't an attractive house, but we moved into it because I was going to remodel it, which I did. We did some remodeling that I did myself and then sold it for a profit. But we had people over that. I mean, our kids were teenagers then. They had all their friends over. We had a, a big downstairs in that. They'd go down there and play their music and right on the walls, which we had allowed them to do. We had a lot of fun at that house. It sure wasn't a fancy house. In Bowling Green, Kentucky one time, we lived there, and I bought a house. It was an old country house. It had kind of a unique charm look to it, but then it flooded twice in the first year. Water came all the way up in. We just invited our friends out. Here we got mud and the you know, kitchen floors six inches deep. You know, Come over and help us clean this thing up. And they did, You know, and we'd cook out afterward. I mean, we, we've never been embarrassed about the places that we lived because, well, Joanne's a master at creating a haven of peace. That's the title of one of her books, Creating a Haven of Peace. But she is. She just makes our home a welcoming place, no matter if it's not fancy. I mean, we aren't concerned about being the fanciest. We're concerned about it being a place of peace where people can really come and hang out and feel like they are better as a result of being there. You know, I think about Warren Buffett. I mean, Warren Buffett bought his current house in 1958 for $31,500. Warren Buffett, he paid $31,000 for the house that he lives in today. He's just not concerned about impressing people. I mean, we know he's a billionaire. He's not concerned about impressing people with where he lives. I mean, most 
Millionaires live in very modest homes. In a millionaire mind, Thomas Stanley goes through that. They, they live in very modest homes. That's why you drive through a very modest neighborhood and you wouldn't be able to pick out the millionaires because they don't drive, you know, Lamborghinis and Ferraris. You know, they drive very modest cars. They, um, he's got some statistics in there about most of them have never spent more than $40 for a watch. Some really fun things like that as well. But again, make your decisions based on the life that you know you want to live, the where you want to be five years from now, what your dreams are for 10 years are, out and what will get you there, not how you'll sacrifice your long-term dreams to impress people today. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to rock and roll right there. We're going to wrap that up. Got a lot more questions that are there. If you've got questions, of course, go to 48days.com slash askdan. That's where you can leave questions. Got a bunch in the queue here, but I think I'm going to wrap there. I'm looking at maybe not... um, well, anyway, just exper- always experimenting, you know that, but experimenting with maybe being closer to like 30 minutes. We're getting some feedback right now. Well, thousands of you have responded to our survey, and I'm grateful for that. We're going to be looking at the stats there, things that you've put in as suggestions, but I'm thinking I may make the podcast a little shorter than the 48 minutes that historically I've done. So here we are at about 37 minutes. Going to wrap it up with that. It's so tempting to keep going because you all keep me supplied with these great questions that are provocative to think about and hopefully helpful for all of us as we unpack them together. But going to just wrap it up right there. Now, remember our free masterclass coming up January 12th, how to create work and a life you love with just 15 hours a week. That's at 48days.com slash webinar. And just a recap of some things we talked about here today. If you don't have clear priorities, any obstacle will send you in a new direction. Don't make your decisions based on how they will impress others. Another quotation from me, Dan Miller, don't expect helpful advice from people who have smaller dreams for your life than you do. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for sending in your questions, for being open to growing, being a powerful force, for making the world a better place. Hey, the best thing you can do, certainly I love reviews and comments that you leave. But if you share this episode with some people who you think will be encouraged by it, who are also committed to personal growth, that's the best way to help us out. They'll thank you for it as well. Become known for somebody who is somebody who lifts others up, not somebody who pulls people down. Drives me crazy hearing that so often that well-meaning people try to hold you down at their level instead of building you up. Well, you can become known as that person become one of those 6% people that we talked about and stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work and a life that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.